You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. That's right. Tommy is here. It's Tuesday, August 6th. And yes, we did a show yesterday. The problem is it crashed after we did it. Aaron, would you like to explain to all of those that got upset that we told them that once I started back on radio, we weren't going to stop the podcast, and they thought the podcast was over yesterday? Yeah, we did a a nice show. It was very smooth. Nothing went wrong. And then I pressed stop at the end, went back to make a couple edits, and it crashed. Never happened once. That's never happened before. Why are you making Aaron explain? I mean, was it his fault? I don't have an explanation It wasn't his fault, It wasn't his fault. So why didn't you just explain it? It's your podcast. And Aaron, why don't you explain to Tom? Did I get upset about it? No. No. You know me. If if somebody's breathing, we're good. <laughs> I don't get worked up about the small stuff. But we did actually come in here, and we did a show yesterday. And by the way, it was one of the best shows we've ever done. Oh, sure. Of, of course. course it was. And well, then, now, you know, that can't be. But why? Because you weren't on it? Exactly. Um, and then it just crashed. And the problem is Aaron has another show that he produces in the afternoon. And our backup producer, my son was doing something else. Probably a concert somewhere. Uh, he was actually in, in his studio um, do, uh, recording some stuff. And so I just said, eh, all right, whatever. So the plan, by the way, the rest of the summer, is we're going to do this podcast, but not five days a week. I was planning on taking days off anyway in July and August, which I've done in July a few. And I was going to take off some days in August as well. And then when we get post-Labor Day, that Tuesday after Labor Day, we're back in to a normal schedule with the podcast and maybe a few wrinkles to the podcast as well, um, which we'll explain as we get closer. But sorry about not having a show yesterday uh that was um unfortunate did this make the papers uh i don't think it made the papers Aaron, was no. was anybody no, report about did. this at all no but people did tweet me you know one person tweeted me and was really upset that the show wasn't <laughs> up um no I, I i i'm sorry about that and for those of you that want here's the thing i'm learning after two days of being back on radio radio is easy when you're in the car the podcast is easier when you're not in the car because, by the way, also the quality of the audio is first rate, and you're on the podcast. Yes. That's the more important thing. Speaking of which, yeah. you know, I'm looking at this, this beautiful studio that, that we broadcast from. Yes. And how, how, how tremendously it's decorated. It's almost like a man cave. Well, do you remember you know? my office? Yes. How, if, how? Your office was decorated like a guy who needed to leave town in five minutes. Here was here's my thing. It's always been this way when it comes to work. I don't. It's definitely an insecurity. Going back to whatever company I was in, I never really decorated an office because I always felt like once that happened, and you were comfortable being like you looked really comfortable, that more likely than not you were on your way out. Well, I could speak to that since I made my office at 980 <laughs> oh my. a shrine. It was a to shrine me. to yourself. <laughs> and and needless to say, it took me <laughs> it took me a long time to pack it up. Yes. And by the way, you know, we're in a business really where you don't make money in your office. You make it in the studio yes. or, you know, outside of it. And I always felt like before I got into broadcasting and business, I was like 
Look, I don't make money in the office. I'm selling and I'm generating revenue being outside the office. But anyway, you're right. It is sparse. But my question spurs this is because I'm looking at the only things that anyone that I brought brought in, in. the only things that are in here of any note is, and I brought them all in, a Denard Span bobblehead, (laughs) a Max Scherzer bobblehead, a Buck Snowwalter snow cone, and a Nats Oktoberfest mug. But I noticed the Bryce Harper Chia Pet is missing. I didn't touch it. Really? I swear to God I didn't touch it. It's gone. It is gone. I yes. do, and I do remember you bringing it in. Yes. I have no idea where it Somebody is. Somebody stole it. Somebody took it. And nobody comes in the studio. You know what? They don't even come in to clean this studio. I actually, twice a week, get a vacuum cleaner from down the hall and vacuum up all the crumbs that are around your chair. Because <laughs> that's, that's usually that's usually the mess that's been made in the office. But I, Tommy, I swear to God, I have no well, idea where that. Well, thing is. I don't know if it disappeared or or somebody took of this valuable piece. To take. Yeah, the Bryce Harper Chia Pet is missing. It's missing. If if you're listening out there and you broke in and took and you took the uh, Harper who, Chia who Pet, who else would have been in here? There were a few other people Mike, in here. Mike wouldn't take the Chia no. Pet. Corbin would have zero interest in taking the Chia Pet. We've had other people in here. That's true. Okay. But I didn't see anybody walk out with the Chia Pet. Well, that's the big mystery today. Um, You know what would be nice is to have just a big picture of Antonio Brown's feet up in the studio. Have you seen those pictures no. of the blisters on his feet? No, I have not. You know, he has not practiced yet. I know that. As a Raider. And John Gruden said the other day, you know, really disappointed that we haven't gotten our, you know, our star off-season acquisition on the field, and he tweeted out pictures or, or maybe Instagrammed out pictures of his feet. Oh my God, they're shredded! You got to you got to check out that picture, and if you haven't, all I you got to do if they're worse than is my feet. Google and uh, probably not. You know, you know, it's funny. This is how you know that you've crossed the age barrier, the 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 age of no return. When you wake up one morning and you look down at your feet. And they're your father's feet. <laughs> or or hands. I think the same thing with hands. Oh, my gosh. Are you looking at the pictures right yes, now of his feet? I, yeah. They're a nightmare. I yeah. mean, he's got major issues with his feet. And you know, I'm telling you, this, this whole wide receiver thing, the OBJ, the Antonio Brown, if I'm running a football operation, I just... I just assume not have all of that disruption, distract, distraction. Look... Give me Hopkins in a second. Give me Julio Jones in a second. But the guys that have clear mental issues, I don't want any part of them. I'm predicting. How many times have I been telling you? You've told me that for years. When when we had the argument, I'm going to tell you right now who we had. We always argued about one player. Do you remember who it was? Des Bryant. Des Bryant. I thought he was a star. I thought the Cowboys needed him. I thought he was a big time player. He was a headache. No doubt he was a headache, but I would have preferred to have had him than not had him. You were right. You were right on all these guys. I mean, because again, I mean, if if you follow my philosophy of building a team from the inside out, if you have great interior linemen to to help your passing game, you can get by without diva wide receivers. You can. I mean, Jerry Jones made the comment the other day that you don't need a rushing champion anymore to win in the NFL. But the thing is, 
He needs a rushing champion. That's my that's yes. my position. I mean, that, Dallas you may is not built need to one, have Zeke Elliott, but he needs it. I think that's true. I actually think that his team is built for Zeke Elliott. Yes, and that he's the difference between you know two wins potentially Absolutely. a year, which could be the difference between eleven and five and a and a division title like last year, or nine and seven and no playoffs. I think they need Zeke Elliott, but I do have this. Strange feeling about the Steelers this year without. I love Le'Veon Bell as a runner. I just think he's got one of the most unique running styles ever. I love him as a back, but he was a problem, and Antonio Brown was a problem. Wouldn't surprise me at all if Pittsburgh ends up being really good this year. Well, what? And that what the Giants that... are better than people think. Well, I think the Giants are going to be better than people think. Uh, and there is this sentiment that the Steelers will be fine just because they've built up a reputation of excellence over years and people think that the the institution of the organization are stronger than individual players if that happens is that a statement yes is that a statement to to other players around the league it's a statement to the league yeah. if the let's just say that the Steelers went 10 and 6 and went to the postseason and the Giants were the surprise team in the NFC and went 10 and 6 and got a wild card and Cleveland and Oakland tanked badly, and OBJ was a problem, and Antonio Brown didn't play and was mouthing off once he came back and was a disruption, yeah, it would be a bit of a statement. I think people have a, an intuitive sense of how this could work out. The, the problem with the, those two players in particular is they are so gifted. They're so over-the-top gifted and talented and difference makers. And Antonio Brown's been a difference maker in terms of winning. Yes. You know, he's played on winning teams in Pittsburgh. But I like their team. And I don't know why people are all – I mean, the, the Cleveland thing to me is getting a little bit out of control in the, in the AFC North. They still have Smith-Schuster, who has a chance to be a very good player. They drafted James Washington, the Oklahoma State kid, last year. A lot of people think that he is potentially going to be a star. James Conner showed you that he is, you know, a, he, he's a 20, bat, a 20 carry a game back. He's not Le'Veon Bell, though. No. Le'Veon Bell was a massive difference yes, he maker. Was. And they still, they still got Ben. Yes. They've got Ben they've yeah. got Roethlisberger. Yeah, look, I don't think the Giants are good. I don't think the Giants for one thing, the Giants have different problems than the Steelers. That's true. The Giants have a quarterback issue that a lot of people think, you know, exists. maybe overinflated, but still, I mean, they have issues beyond their their wide receiver. I don't think it would take 10 wins for the Giants to make a statement. I think if the Giants are a 500 team, They've already. What were they last year? Four and twelve. What were they last year? The Giants. Can you remember what they were? Five and eleven, something like that. Um, I, I don't know, but they had not won. very good. Not they very weren't good. very good. They, although they got better at the end of the year, if you recall, that, yes, they, they were getting better at the, five and eleven. But rem, uh, I want to pull up their schedule last year because I'm pretty sure at the end of the year they were winning well, we games. Know who and they got well. forty points against? Well, they beat Chicago. And they beat, they crushed the Redskins. Yeah. Should have beaten Philly on the road. Beat San Francisco and Tampa, and then lost their last three games. Two of which they lost by a point to two playoff teams, the Colts and the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys had anything to play for in that season finale, if my memory serves me correctly. But, um, the, but if the Steelers are good, and the Steelers are a playoff team, if the Steelers are the Steelers without Bell and Brown, then I think that's a statement. Oh, Absolutely, I agree. The the Giants. It's interesting that you say that. The the Giants. 
you know, they, they got rid of a lot of players that I still can't figure out why they got rid of those players. When you think about them, I don't know why they would have gotten rid of Olivier Vernon. Like, that guy is a beast. And do they really have his replacement? You know, Snacks Harrison, Vernon, um, Landon Collins letting him go. They got rid of talented players on defense that made them a pretty capable defensive team the last few oh, years. D- Dave Gettleman hard... Dave Gettleman put his 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 butt on the line. I oh. mean, he he he's already being ridiculed before they even play a game because of some of the personnel decisions he's made and some of the guys that he's kissed off like a Landon Collins. Yes, I well well, and Landon Collins has made it very clear. Yeah, he's going after. He's going yeah. after Dave. I Gettleman. mean, he's already promised Super Bowls. You know, he's already yes. gotten caught up into the racket that is over promising and under delivering in Ashburn, promising not one Super Bowl but two, and dis- he's promised that he's going to destroy his former team for being so disrespectful. And he's going to get the general um, manager. In he's going to knock the general manager yep. to the ground in pregame war- warmups. The Giants here early in training camp have had. A, a bi- two big losses at wide receiver. Sterling Shepard's hurt, and then Golden Tate got suspended. Right, you know, for for a few games. So, I, I they've got Saquon Barkley. I did. I think Eli Manning still has something left. I think I'm the only person that believes that they've upgraded their offensive no, line. No, I, I agree with you. And they've got some young talent on defense. It's not proven talent in Peppers, who they got back in that trade. Right, they got Jabril Peppers back. Right, Aaron. Yes. And then they drafted the the. Uh, the uh, defensive lineman from Clemson uh, with their second pick, you know, because they put, picked uh, the quarterback uh, overall first and then Dexter Lawrence. Is Look, I think of. the Giants could be better. I think Eli Manning is a better quarterback than most people think. I think Daniel Jones is going to be a better quarterback than most people think. And, but the one thing I do have a question about is I, I, I have no idea if Pat Shermer is, is an good, good head point. NFL I have coach. no idea either. Yeah. Have you seen some of the early things being said about Daniel Jones in training camp? It's training camp. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know what right. this really means. But the overall, there, there was a story I read, and I, I'm going to forget where I read it. It was last week. I don't think I've mentioned it on, on the podcast or, or the radio show. But I read it, um, and it was basically quoting various people around the league anonymously about Daniel Jones. And the net of it was... Most of the league insiders think that the Giants got it right and had no problem with Dave Gettleman reaching for Jones where he reached for him. It is the media and the fans that were, you know, are you kidding me? You passed on Dwayne Haskins for this guy from Duke. You picked him here. You could have got him at 17. And a lot of the league insiders think that Gettleman's going to be proven right on Daniel Jones, that he may not be an elite quarterback, but he's going to be a solid, good, top half of the league starter with a long career. And they said, bottom line is you can't take the chance if you think you've got your guy when it comes to a quarterback on waiting until your next pick, which was 17th overall, right? Wasn't it the Giants had uh, Jones at 6, and then they had 17 for Dexter Lawrence? Correct. That was it, right? Yes. So, 
And they said, a lot of the league insiders said, despite what some people were reporting that he wouldn't have been picked before 17, they believe that Denver and or Washington or somebody else would have selected Jones before the Giants got on the clock at 17. And the inside view, anonymously from league execs and league ins- uh, people in the league, is that the Giants are going to be proven right on Daniel Jones. It, it's, would it have been interesting, and I think it would have gotten ugly, if Daniel Jones wasn't picked with the sixth pick and was available at 15. Well, that, that would have gotten a little bit ugly. Well, we know, again, from what we know and what's been reported, the football people didn't have Dwayne Haskins with a first-round grade. And if it was first-round, it was super late in the first round, more like a second-round grade. They liked him. They yes. just didn't like him at 15. They liked their guy really was Montez Sweat. But remember, Sweat was falling because of the heart condition right. stuff and some of the other stuff that was uh, you know, leading up to the draft about p- potentially being difficult to coach, et cetera. Um, I did – I mean, I'm not the only person that learned this. I think it was – why am I blanking on her name from ESPN Channel 4? Diana Rossini. Diana Rossini, who I, I love Diana. Diana, you know, also I think had the report that some in the organization like Jones yeah. more than Haskins. And and I also learned that at least a couple of the football people liked Rosen in a trade more than Jones or Haskins. But whatever. Well, you t- time's going You know what? Time will it tell. doesn't I mean, it doesn't matter because Colt McCoy is your quarterback, baby. Yeah. None of that matters. So that's at the top of my list for you today. It took us a while to get to it. <laughs> Um, and I want to just mention Stamps.com because the show today is brought to you by Stamps.com. If you're a small business, like the Kevin Sheehan show is, the podcast, <laughs> um, use Stamps.com. And I'm serious about this because it's totally built for small businesses. It, it's 700,000 small businesses right now, including this one. Use Stamps.com. You don't have time to go to the post office. You're busy. And you've got reasons to send out invoices, ship out products. You know, even if you're a warehouse in a bigger business and you're sending out thousands of packages a day, stamps.com handles it all with ease. You simply use your computer, you print official U.S. postage 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it off in a mailbox. It's that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. It's a no brainer, saves you time and money. It's one of the most popular time saving tools for small businesses right now. Now my listeners, our listeners get a special offer right now. It's a four week trial, which gives you free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Kevin DC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Stamps.com. Enter my code, Kevin DC. Yeah, Colt McCoy, Tommy. Um, That's at my top of my list for when Tommy gets in. Colt McCoy, <laughs> number one on the depth chart. The unofficial depth chart. Uh... Do you think he's got a chance to start the opener? Well, I think he has a chance. Yeah, I think he has a chance. I think he's got more of a chance talking to some people now. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, let me just get the truth in front of some of the illusion that comes out from time to time. I liked Colt McCoy for two reasons. One, he had me at his post-game press conference, 
after he led them to a win uh, when he came in. Oh, who hasn't had you at their post-game no, press this, conference? This. Like RG3, when he stopped to let the planes <laughs> land at Dulles, and you said, oh, my God, this guy is just the best. <laughs> but I wasn't fooled this time. Colt was so – that. Colt was so emotional, and that moment meant so much the to Cowboy him. The Cowboy Monday night game no, that he won. It, it, no, it was the Tennessee game oh, when he came that he in. came right. in yep. to win okay. for, for them. And that post-game press conference, I was so impressed with that and got to know him a little bit. But that's not why I thought that he would wind up being a Redskins starter at some point. I learned how much Jay Gruden liked him. And that was the whole thing. I knew if the head coach liked this guy – you know, there's got to be something to him. I think Jay Gruden is 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 a good judge of quarterbacks. He's a better judge than I am. How's that? So uh, my whole thing about Colt McCoy was more because I knew the head coach wanted him I know. to play, liked him a lot, really loved the way he ran his offense. And so we're at that point now. This is, the, I mean, the only thing getting in the way of Colt McCoy uh, starting at this point are bandages and splints. Which are even money to become yes. part of the conversation yes, I before agree week with that. three. I agree with all that. This is why I'm not jumping up and down, uh, you know, celebrating for you know up to high heaven because he is so fragile. He's so breakable. So you know what's surprising, and as, as we're sitting here talking about it, it's the first time I've thought about it. And I, I had Michael Phillips on the radio show today. I actually really like Michael. I think he really lets it loose. Like he's he doesn't worry about um, you know pissing anybody off. And you know I think it's not you know I it's not surprising that Dwayne Haskins, according to everybody that's been down there and has talked to coaches, isn't ready yet. That it's coming along slowly for him. It is surprising, however, what Michael Phillips told me today, and that is that it's coming along very slowly for Case Keenum. Now, he doesn't know the system either, and right. he was going to be behind the eight ball with Colt if Colt was healthy and ready to start camp because Colt's been in the system since 2014. But Case Keenum, when they made the trade for Case Keenum, when Bruce made the trade for Case Keenum, which turned out to be a nothing trade in terms of what they gave up. It was right. a swap of sixth and seventh round picks in they got on, they're on the hook for $3.5 in base salary. So if he didn't make the team, they wouldn't even be on the hook for that. Um, but when that trade was made, I think it was made with the understanding that we, we've got to have a backup plan if we don't get our quarterback in the draft uh, or even potentially you know, via trade you know, for a Josh Rosen or, or somebody else. Um, and, and we know that Colt can't really start 16 games right. and uh, we're not even sure if we're confident in Kirk starting 16 games let's get Colt. somebody uh, yeah. uh, Colt I'm sorry Colt did I say Kirk yes you sorry did. about that I've always got Kirk on the brain don't I everybody but, just screamed into their into, <laughs> into their podcast but you know um apparently the other part of that uh, and I didn't know this at the time of the case Keenum trade unlike the Alex Smith trade that Jay Gruden was lukewarm on Jay Gruden really liked case Keenum a year ago he thought that that could be another guy to bring into the mix right. um, once Kirk was gone before you know Bruce made the trade for Alex Smith. Um, but I guess the, the surprising thing is that right now, at least according to the people that I've talked to, Case is pretty far behind Colt. I, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise this early in camp, but if we get to the third preseason game and we're hearing that Colt's got a substantial lead on Case Keenum, 
I would suggest to you that it's possible that Case Keenum won't be on the roster on opening day, that they might try to move him, especially if a team is desperate for a veteran backup. So you think that they, they wouldn't go with three quarterbacks? Well, Jay doesn't like to go with three quarterbacks. I know that. This but, is the but, situation to go with three quarterbacks because you've got the franchise down the road quarterback. Right, but but do you think there'd be a mentality among people in the organization that's saying, well, okay, we'll live with Dwayne Haskins not being the starter, but you're not going to bury him at number three? Tommy, I don't want him buried at number three. Okay. I don't want him buried at number three. I don't get the part of the fan base that seems so willing to go along with a plan that says, sit him for a year. That's fine. Be patient. Let's err on the side of patience. I want to see this dude play. He's the future. He's the light at the end of the tunnel. If he's not ready to start against Philadelphia or play against the the Bears or the Cowboys or the Patriots in week five, that's fine. But I think I've referenced this with you before. I've ref- referenced it multiple times on the podcast. The conversation that I had with this guy, Chris Raybon, from the Action Network, who do- did a ton of research on quarterbacks from 2005 through the end of last year that essentially suggested that if you don't play a lot of games in your rookie season as a highly drafted quarterback, it's because either you're sitting behind Brady or Favre or you're not very good. You know, Mahomes is the only exception to that rule. He sat behind Alex Smith, and you can make the case, and I would make the case too, and this guy did, that he probably didn't need to sit behind Alex Smith after what we saw in year two. Um, And maybe the Chiefs even blew an opportunity in a Super Bowl window opportunity by playing Alex Smith in 2017 instead of Mahomes. But I want to see the dude play. If you tell me in week eight and they're two and six that he's still third on the depth chart with three quarterbacks or that he's not ready, that's telling then. It's not telling now, but it would be telling then. Wentz, Goff, Mariota, Winston, you know, uh, all of these quarterbacks that have, you know, last year, Darnold, Josh Allen, um, Mayfield, they haven't sat for it. No one's been sitting for a year. No, I I agree with that. That's what Joe Theismann says. I know that's what they say, but that's not really what the recent trend is. The recent trend is if you're a highly drafted quarterback, then you and you have a future. You are ready at some point in that first year to take eight games, nine games, ten games of of starting play. Well, if if you trade Case Keenum, if you go into the season with Colt McCoy and Dwayne Haskins, you'll see Dwayne Haskins. Yes, you will. You'll see him. He'll he'll be starting for this team. Right. Uh, at some point during the season, and then it'll be his team. I'll tell you what, if Colt McCoy didn't get hurt for the first time, you'd still see Dwayne Haskins because you know I love Colt as a guy. I just don't see it as a guy that can really, you know, take them to a 9-10 win season. Well, look, at whoever plays quarterback isn't going to come out of that first five games with a winning record at the very minimum. More likely than not, I guess. So, really, I mean, even if Colt is healthy and plays his best, he's not going to beat the Eagles on the road. He's not going to beat the Patriots. He's probably not going to beat the Bears uh, and and probably not going to beat the Cowboys. But do you, by the way, I I would bet that Keenum is not traded. And I'm just just suggesting that. This is a year they should go with three quarterbacks. I'm suggesting that if he's way behind Colt. And he doesn't really grasp it quickly enough to give Jay Gruden the confidence 
that there may be a contending team, same sort of uh, thing with you know with Trent Williams. There may be a contending team that needs a backup that isn't comfortable with their own backup or has a starter go down in preseason or early in the season and ends up offering you know a shitload for for Case Keenum or a lot more than you'd think. That's what I would do with Trent Williams as well. I think the Redskins start need to start accumulating you know future picks by leveraging a couple of the key players they have. Case Keenum's not a great player, but he plays a very important position right. and he's played it at a level that could make him attractive to a team that's desperate. But back to Haskins for a moment. Do you agree with me that it seems that a lot of people seem resigned to um, Haskins sitting for much of, if not the entire, uh, his entire rookie season and being okay with it and that that's not a good thing. I don't think that's a good thing. I don't. He better play this year. And there's context like Colt McCoy stays healthy and they're 8-3 and three and they're having this incredible season. Okay, well then he's not going to play. But if they're 3-8... and eight, or they're two and five. I want to see that dude out there I get in week that. eight. I I understand that. You know the the reaction I get from people on social media and what I read is uh, that if Case Keenum is the starter, they're more comfortable with Dwayne Haskins sitting. But if Colt McCoy is the starter, they're through the roof angry. They they said they don't want to see that. I mean, Colt McCoy's reputation among Redskins fans is so low in terms of his ability to play that I think that they that, that some people can live with a Haskins sitting behind Case Keenum. They can't live with him sitting behind Colt. Yeah, I see, I know what you're saying, and I do think that the majority of the fan base feels that way about Colt. Not personally, but just in terms yeah, as, of his as ability as a quarterback. As an NFL starter. As a quarterback, and that they'd rather see somebody else like Case Keenum if it's not going to be Haskins. But I do think that the majority of the fan base seems to be okay with the franchise being super patient with Haskins. And I am not in favor of playing him if he's nowhere near ready to play. I think that that could be something that ends up being detrimental detrimental to his career. But what I'm saying, and you still haven't answered, I just want to get a clear-cut answer from you. If they're 2-5, and 2-6, and six, and they still tell you that Haskins isn't ready, do you think that that would be an indication of something that you know isn't good long-term? Would it be telling? I'd say it was a red flag, but Redskins Park ran out of red flags a long time ago. <laughs> they don't. They don't have any more well, red. Do flags. Do they have any pink flags? I don't know what color they might they, for October. The I don't know what October. what color they've used. They've been using the white flag uh, on, on occasion. I want to see the dude play this. But year. but look, if 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 they get through that early part of the the schedule, pretty banged up. And, and with a losing record, then yeah, it's time to see the kid play. Uh, I I think it's time. I think it would be time to see see him play. Look, I've said this a million times, and it, it pisses some some of you off. Next year's quarterback class is first rate on paper with Herbert, with Tua, with uh, Fromm, uh, and I'm forgetting somebody there, Aaron. But if for whatever reason y- you're not going to learn anything about Dwayne Haskins without him playing in regular season games, period. You've got to see him play eight, nine, ten plus regular season games. So if you get to the end of that and you're like, hey, we got something here, fine, then you don't have to worry about a quarterback if you've got a top five pick next year. 
But if you get through 8, 9, 10 games and you're like, whoa, this is a long way to go. Well, this is the position, just like Arizona did with Rosen and Kyler Murray, where you say, to hell with the who we took a year ago. We've seen him for 10-plus games. We don't feel confident in him, and we think is going to be a star, and we got a tr- chance to draft him at three overall next year. you got to learn something this year about your quarterback, about your rookie quarterback. And here's what the least amount you would learn is what kind of competitor he is by putting him out there if he isn't ready. How... How competitive is he? What kind of creator is he? How does he handle the adversity, you know, as a rookie quarterback? You need to learn those things. I'm not saying that if they're seven and three with Colt that you bench him or with Case you bench him just to put him in there then. I just don't think they will be seven and three with either one of those two players. I don't think there will be either. Now we have to take this into account because it's it's the Redskins. What about the business factor of empty seats at FedEx Field? To open the season. What about that? Well, again, the NFL did the Redskins a solid by scheduling the Cowboys, Bears, and Patriots as, as their first three home games, which is going to really boost attendance with the opponent's so you think, fans. You think that's going to diffuse some of that? Well, I mean, I can just tell you from a dollars and cents standpoint, they're going to do better with Dallas, Chicago, yes, and New will. England as their first three okay. home games than they did last year with Indianapolis. I can't even remember what the second home game was, but they didn't have, you know, they had the Colts as the first, well, they had the Packers as the second home game, and then the Panthers as the third. It's a better start. Yes, it is. In terms of their home schedule. The Packers helped last year. I don't remember what the crowd was. The Cowboy game was not completely sold out, but it was close, wasn't it? And we have have a bet. This year, you think it's well, going to be sold out? This I think year. Cowboy fans are really fired up, and I think Bear fans are really fired up. I don't about think their the Cowboys game will be sold out. I think there's a chance both of them will be sold out, with sixty percent plus of the stadium being packed with the opponents' fans. Bear fans are Chicago Bear fans are as excited about this team as they've been in a long time. And by the way, I think they've got good reason. No, to be. I think they do too. I'll just be real curious about how the business factor plays into the quarterback decision because you're kidding yourself if you don't think it's a factor. Um, Well, you know what? If it's a factor, then why was Dwayne Haskins third on this unofficial depth chart? They would have taken advantage of that opportunity to put him higher in the depth chart to try to sell some tickets. Colt McCoy has, has... I mean, because Jay Gruden has controlled the depth chart. Well... that That's... You know what? That's all Jay Gruden has control of when it comes to the quarterback. <laughs> but the, my, the, the the training camp depth chart. But if if you're you're right, if you're right, and I'm not suggesting that this isn't a possibility, I do think that there's a chance that Dwayne Haskins comes in against Cleveland on Thursday night in the fourth quarter and goes eight for nine, and Bruce and Dan say, "Whoa, there you go, look at him." He they Let's don't go. They don't need to worry about because, the depth chart. You know, this kid could sell himself. Yeah, but if they were really like all dialed in on revenue and ticket sales, then with this unofficial depth chart, they would have said, Jay, put Dwayne at the top. Who cares where he is right now? But it'll get people fired up. We might sell some tickets. Because they, they certainly didn't sell any extra tickets putting Colt first no, they and didn't. Dwayne third. No, they didn't. You're right. Um, what did you make of Honest Jay, Direct Jay, saying – no chance or highly doubt trading Trent Williams. I think that was uh, him speaking in the moment. 
I think that they're going to wind up trading Trent Williams because I, I think they're going to have to. I don't you, think I don't think he's going to report. I think he's going to sit out the season. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on what that meant. Okay, you're usually much more perceptive than that. Well, Let me help you with you this. You know, one. it's a little bit early in the morning still. <laughs> Let for me men. help you with this one. That's Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen, Tommy, is in there saying f him and he, this medical bullshit. And this contract, you know, uh, Charlie Casserly, did you hear what he said to J.P. Finley on his podcast yesterday? No. said it's all about money. All about money. Nothing about medical. I don't know if Charlie knows something or if he's just speaking from experience. But I think Bruce Allen has told this organization, we're not budging. Remember what Les Carpenter's story said last week? They are going to try to bleed him dry and make him suffer the pain of not getting a game day check. And he'll come back. Bruce is stubborn like that, Tommy. I think the best thing to do would be to have him actively on the trade block, waiting for the offer that you can't turn down. Also, simultaneously, saying, get your ass in here, we need you. And by the way, you need to be here if it, to play. I, the Redskins could trade him when the regular season starts, even if he's in. But I think what Jay Gruden said is, yeah, um... We're not trading him. I know Bruce, and once he gets his heels dug in on something like this, he doesn't want to lose that battle. I also think I'm so, so I'm surprised that you didn't pick up on that. Um, the other part of that is that they feel, and I've heard this, that they would be setting a terrible precedent of letting the player win. You know, Bruce doesn't want players or agents to win. I just don't think Trent Williams. I think Trent Williams is an outlier. There's no other player that would have his kind of leverage right now. There's no comp. So, therefore, there's, it's not a precedent. Look, you have a player, whether you agree with Charlie Castle or not, you have a player that, according to all reports and according to some of his former teammates, like D'Angelo Hall, is basically said that the Redskins' medical staff, it, it, you can't trust the people who take care of you and I don't want to play for them anymore. I don't trust them. That's a precedent setter. I mean, how can you think of how many holdouts have been because the star player basically uh, through sub-channels, not directly yet, he hasn't spoken directly. Hasn't done anything no. social media-wise. No. Yes, but, but, through but, surrogates and right. through friends. Has basically the indi out. indicted. If, if he's done it rather than them breaking his confidence. Right. Basically indicted the Red, Redskins medical staff. I mean, that's never been done before, not to my memory, anywhere. I'm I'm hearing that it's been trashed, the reputation of their doctors in particular, but also their trainers have been trashed without legitimate justification. For that me. doesn't matter. I understand that. I, I understand that. That but, doesn't matter but, who's right. I, I, okay, but put aside who's right. Uh, if... And I and I suggested this to you last week and missed out on something so obvious, which Neil and Rockville pointed out to me after the show on Thursday that we did. And that is the Redskins can't speak to this right now because of HIPAA, because of privacy. Oh, you can you can speak to the generalities of your medical. I staff. guess you could do that, but you can't speak specifically no, can't, to the Trent Williams. Situation. No, you can't do that, but you, you can defend your medical people. Look, the Redskins announced uh, just the other day, yesterday or yeah, yeah yesterday. A partnership with a I company that. that called them an official health and wellness partner of the Washington Redskins. Now it's a medical bill review company, but if you're in, yeah, if it's you're, accounting, 
But if you're in the medical business, at this point, do you want to be announced as a partnership of, of the official health and wellness partner with the Redskins when their star player is basically saying the health and wellness staff of the Redskins is garbage and, and, and I don't trust them and I, I don't want to play for them? Why would you want to be in business with that team? Do you, know, you do know this, right, that the Redskins training staff earned the training staff of the year award in the NFL in February. Okay. They got the 2018 Ed Block Courage Award NFL Athletic Training Staff of the Year Award. But what's the narrative right now? I understand what the narrative is. I just, Again, perception is reality. That's fine. But you know what the perception is among coaches and players in the league? Is This ought to be interesting. Well, it's that we just don't want to play for that organization. But this gives them this gives them a reason that that's, they didn't need a lot of other reasons. Yeah, but money always spoke over the other reasons. Not recently this with is, Bruce. This is something different. The, this the, this is this this. I mean, this is basically accusing them in a way of malpractice. And you know what? The timing of it with the Colt McCoy infection after his surgery and the Alex Smith infections after his surgery, it all gets put together and, oh my God, they got this major issue. I've just been told that that issue isn't an issue, that they've got good doctors, good training staff, and they won this award for training staff. And they've had people come in because of the two straight years of horrific injury problems in 2017 and 2018 and review what they're doing outside consultants. And they've said, look, Bad fortune more than anything else. I'm not saying, by the way, and I, we talked about this last week, I'm not saying that Trent Williams doesn't have justification for the way his situation was handled by the team. And maybe the team feels like he his justification is really very thin um, because they suggested to him two years ago, let's get this thing looked at. Whatever. I'm just saying, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's right now perception becomes reality. Um, but uh, th- there are other reasons that free agents and coaches have stayed away from this organization that have nothing to do with medical and training staffs. I think in this day and age where you've got an organization that's accused by a player with the stature of Trent Williams of being a poor medical operation, I think the damage is, is, is irreparable. Right. I don't see how he can come back to play. for. I don't see how he can come back to play for them. Uh, the only thing Michael Phillips has said, JP Finley's told me the guys that are covering the team is that they still have this impression talking to people that money could solve all this, but I don't think Bruce is going to give him a new deal. And by the way, I don't think he should give Trent Williams a new deal. I don't think that's the way the Redskins should go. I don't think that's the right move for their future. Let, let, let they me just trade point him out at that point. Nobody, none of these people are likely talking to Trent. So nobody really knows. Um, right. So that's the thing that's interesting about this too, um, is that in this day and age of players, you know, in controversial situations or, you know, being publicly discussed, he's not responding via social media. Not even, he, not his agent? No, not him. Nobody. And you know what? That's now, as you said, and Neil and Rockville pointed this out to me earlier today, he has had people on his behalf, if you believe that D'Angelo Hall was speaking on his behalf, or others to Jason Lockenfora, which is where the original reports came out, that he's leaking stuff through people, or perhaps he's had conversations with friends, and those friends have leaked that information. I don't know. Here's what you do know. It's 
very unusual in 2019 for a player going through what Trent Williams is going through to be completely silent publicly. It is. So this and is by the different. way, the Redskins so, are silent too. So this is a different situation. That tells you this is something different. It's a different case. Yeah, it tells you that the medical, which is what I've, I learned last week, is a it is a big part of this thing. Charlie Castro disagrees. You think it, whether you think it's justified or not, whether you think it's fair or not, right? It really doesn't matter. It's what Trent Williams thinks. Yep, I agree. Um, I wanted to talk to you um, about Kirk Cousins and this story that Adam Kilgore wrote in the Post on Sunday because it actually for people like me who actually root for Kirk Cousins. Um, it was a bit disturbing, um, but we'll do that real quickly. Um, we'll do that, I'm sorry, after uh, I real quickly talk about launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you are looking for new office space and you live in Upper Northwest, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Potomac, just over the American Legion Bridge in Northern Virginia, um, consider launch workplaces in Bethesda. They've just opened up a brand new spot, fully furnished offices, co-working desks, high-speed internet. They've got a cafe. 24-7 access and free parking and plenty of it. Um, go to launchworkplaces.com to check out all of their facilities, including the new facility in Bethesda. Yesterday when we did the show that crashed and didn't get out, uh, I, I talked about this, but I'm actually glad you're here and, and I can save it for you. I, I read um, Adam Kilgore's story in the Post on Sunday about Kirk Cousins, um, a story titled "Burden of Proof," um, and then what do you call, what do you call this under the headline? The subheading, yeah, you, a subhead. All right, so the subheading: um, After signing Kirk Cousins, the ascending Vikings didn't return to the playoffs this year. A new offensive philosophy could help both parties meet great expectations. And I'll get to the part that that disappoints me as a Kirk Cousins fan and worries me as a Kirk Cousins fan in a moment. But some of the things that I'm not sure everybody realizes, they just saw that the Vikings went eight, seven, and one off of a NFC, you know, off of the NFC championship season the year before, and then they didn't make the postseason and they blame it on Kirk. Well, the truth of the matter, there was a lot going on. All right, Tony Sperano, their offensive line coach, dropped dead before the season started. Very tragic. A very good position coach. And they had a banged up offensive line that turned out to be last year either the second worst offensive line in the league or the worst. The Giants and the Vikings were 1 and 1A in terms of bad offensive lines. They couldn't run the football last year. Their defense wasn't nearly as good as it was in 2017. They had very good receivers in Thielen and Diggs. And by the way, for all of you that keep suggesting that the Redskins should just trade Trent Williams for Stephon Diggs, they just signed Diggs to this massive deal last year. They can't trade him. If they trade him, they'll have an insane salary cap hit based on the acceleration over the uh, over the next two seasons in trading Diggs. That report, remember that his brother tweeted Trayvon Diggs reported that the, you know they sh- well, remember that thing Aaron from the spring when people blew it up on yeah. on the internet because Diggs was holding some Redskins helmet or something, and his brother tweeted out that picture or yeah, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, Trayvon. Uh, tweeted out something about the Redskins, yes. Yeah, so he's not getting traded. They're not trading Stefan Diggs. But anyway, back to the Cousins story that Adam Kilgore wrote. So Cousins last year statistically had his best season. 
Um, he threw for 4,300 yards, 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, his best touchdown to interception ratio of his career, 70.1% completion percentage, had some monster games at Green Bay early where he drove him down the field, down eight, threw the touchdown pass, the two-point conversion, and then the field goal kicker missed two kicks, one at the end of regulation and one in overtime, and they ended up tying the Packers at Lambeau, had a phenomenal game and a loss at uh, Los Angeles against the Rams in the Coliseum, 425 yards, I think four touchdowns in that game, and the defense couldn't stop uh, the Rams in that game. Had big games early and then faltered late. He had two horrific games against the Bears, a very good defensive team, but all they needed was one of those games against the Bears to get into the postseason, and he couldn't deliver, and he didn't play well in either one of those games. But one of the things that Kilgore focuses on Um, is the fact that Kirk's overall record, career record, against teams with a winning record, and this is what all of you anti-Kirk people always point to, and it's true, it's a a fact. 5-26 and all time. That's pretty bad. Against teams with a winning record. And this is what I wanted to get to. First of all, before I get to, to the response to that, his response to that, They've got a new offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, replaced John DiFilippo. Filippo had him in shotgun, no play action last year, throwing 60% of the time. That's not Kirk. Kirk needs play action. They were 27th in the league last year in play action throws, yet he was second in the league behind Breeze in play action production. When they went play action, Kirk was at his best, like we saw him with Jay Gruden. But uh, DiFilippo dropped him back a lot, had him in a lot of shotgun. Stefanski's come in, Gary Kubiak's come in, and they're very bullish on this new system for Kirk in Minnesota. But in response to the record against winning teams, um, Cousins said the following. He says, quote, you got to peel back that stat a little bit. Uh, he and, and Kilgore writes, he doesn't run from it, but he doesn't accept it either. Quote, you got to beat winning teams eventually, right? Uh, but how many of those games, because that includes some years in Washington, right, were we the favorite? Most of them we weren't picked to win. So then we don't win, and it's like he didn't win. Um, by the way, uh, of those 31 games that he's 5-26 in against winning teams, they were favored in 7 of the 31 between Washington and Minnesota. Right. His record in the games in which they were favored in is 1-6. So in those games that he was favored to beat a winning team, um, he still didn't deliver. Um, and then there was – where's that other quote that I wanted to uh, to read? Um, wow, this is this is like a defendant given al- allocution, allocution or whatever they call it in, in a court of law. Well, so what I wanted to say was he's got to stop with these, you know – very, I think, subtle excuse-making situations in interviews about last season. He's got to own that. One of the things that has bothered me about Kirk Cousins in the last couple of years, going back to, to the Redskins year, is that it is true, I, I've never denied this, that occasionally in big spots he hasn't come through and he hasn't elevated his team 
you know, around him in a big situation. Now, in some game, he, it's not that he hasn't done it. Go back to 2015. He did it multiple times, including that, you know, Saturday night game in Philadelphia to, to, to clinch a playoff berth. You know, 335 yards and four touchdowns in one of his best games of his career. But last year against the Bears in that season finale, he was bad. And he didn't do anything to elevate his team. He didn't create plays. He didn't look like he was fighting to his death to get into the postseason. He's very process-oriented. We always hear that about him. And sometimes he's way too analytical. It's, you know, the old analysis that leads to paralysis. And I think that that's him. That he's got too much of that in him sometimes. And on this, you know, subtle excuse on, well, how many of those games were we the favorite in? You got to own that. You're 5 and 26 against winning record teams. Own it and say, I'm going to try to do better. And I think that the excuse making is all part of his over analysis and his, you know, he, he gets deep into this stuff. And. I think sometimes it's the people who are completely oblivious to this stuff, like Flacco, you know, yeah. who deliver in the clutch. And I think some of that is his personality. And he's either the personality changes or he's just going to be a good quarterback that can never elevate beyond that. And he'll be good when he's on good teams around him. I do think that that's, you know, that's the floor for him you know, on a good team is that he's a good quarterback on a good team. If he's on a bad team, he's going to have, he's going to, it's, he's going to have some rough times, but I, I don't know if he takes that next jump without, you know, getting away from thinking this way. What do you think? You know, I'm trying to think about quarterbacks who have been championship quarterbacks who have basically been cut from the same mold. Uh, guys who, 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 tried to distance themselves from their failures. And I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, you know, when you think about the all-time greats, I mean, Steve Young was very analytical. He was super analytical as a quarterback, really into a lot of the minutia, very, very bright, um, also just a badass yeah. quarterback. But think about it. Like, was Marino brilliant? Was he overanalytical? No. Was Montana brilliant? Overanalytical? No. Um, in recent years, well, yeah, uh, Pey Peyton Br was. Peyton was. Peyton was. Yeah, Peyton. Peyton definitely was. Yeah. And, but Brady isn't. Doesn't seem to be. Brady isn't that way. Rivers isn't that way. Now Rivers hasn't won it. Ben's not that way. No. In recent, you know, Aaron Rodgers can be a little bit right, but for the most part, there is a. There's like an there there's an edge you know look comparing him to some of the greats of all time in the game is not what anybody's ever made him out to be including his fans like me. I've always said he's not elite, he's never going to be an elite quarterback, but he can be a very good quarterback if you put a good team around him and you can win with him. What bothers me is this stuff. He had a very good season last year, but you know statistically but he didn't elevate his team in the key moments last year. No. I think even less so last year than in Washington. Look, in Washington, he had no running game to speak of and a terrible defense in 2015, 2016, and even 2017. Not early in 2017, but for the most part, a terrible defense for the majority of the year. Last year, they, they were struggling around him. But man, at times he looked jumpy, he looked skittish, and those times were in 
in games that were big against good teams. It's bad form. It's it's a bad look for him to uh, to make that kind of statement. And like you said, he should own up to his record. His teammates would respect him more if he did. His opponents would respect him more. The people who don't like him even would respect him more if if he did. Uh, and you know, look, Mike Shanahan has said you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. I'm not so sure you can say that anymore. Um, I think I still believe that. I still believe that about him, and I would not be surprised with a better offensive scheme and coordinator in the Kubiak system that he has a big year this year. Um, But, you know, there's been too much of that, too much of, yeah, you know, I don't beat winning teams, but, you know, how many of those games were we actually supposed to win to begin with? You know, you have to peel it back. Stop being analytical when it comes to things like that. Own 5-26. and 26. Don't talk about the fact that you were an underdog in a lot of those games. And by the way, the fact that in many of those games you weren't the reason your team lost, you were the reason your team actually had a chance, which was the case here in Washington with a horrible defense when they won, when they lost a lot of close games against teams with winning records because their defense and their kicker was atrocious. Right. You know, and missing big kicks. But you can't... You know that that's that's a number that's attached to him right now, and if and trying to explain it away, I think reveals something about a flaw in his character, a flaw in his competitiveness. Yeah, I think that it could me. look at his coaching situation last year could have been a disaster. It, it it sounds like it was kind of it was for for his first year with the organization. To have that much instability uh, on the offensive coaching side of the ball, I'm sure hurt him. Yep. And, but he's not going to, you know, he's not going to hang coaches out to dry. But then your your explanation should be, it's on me. You shouldn't be looking for some. Well, other he never throws anybody else under. The I bus. know that he doesn't. But he did. He he's not taking it. No. This or he. This is the thing that really gets under his skin, you know, because. If we went back and looked at all 31 of those games against winning teams, I would bet you any amount of money. I did it when he was in Washington. That if you go game by game, in the majority of those games, he was actually really good. You know, and he had a terrible defense, or Dustin Hopkins missed a 31-yard field goal in overtime, or missed two field goals in Detroit, or missed two field goals on Thanksgiving against you know the Cowboys when he threw for 500 yards or whatever he threw for on Thanksgiving Day that year. Um, but it's it's just revealing, and there have been a couple of these situations with him over the le- le- couple of years that that definitely, you know, as a fan of him and as a guy that I- I'd like to see him succeed. Because why, Tommy? Because I want to be right. Of course, I want to be right about it. Of him. course, you want to be right. And by the way, in many ways, I I'm already right because most <laughs> of you said he wasn't even a starter that he shouldn't even be in the league. And I said, no, this guy can start and be a, a top half of the league quarterback. Um, but anyway, um, Look, that's it on him. Okay, well, I'm looking for something that you mentioned about uh, Dustin Hopkins. I mean, you mentioned Dustin Hopkins, and this is in a column I wrote. You know, I write for Warpath, the uh, publication, the Redskins publication. Since when? I've been writing for them for years. You've never told me that. Well, yeah, I do. I know lots of things I don't tell you. <laughs> I swear me. to God, I never knew that. Well, and I wrote a column about Redskins who will pass milestones this year probably over the course of the season. 
on the all-time career accomplishment list. And Dustin Hopkins mm-hmm. is is fourth all-time on the Redskins' kicking list with yeah. 99 field goals. He'll probably move up to third this year and well, pass Think Kirsten about Knight. all the uh, yeah. 25 years, the kicking issues they've had. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's remarkable that, that Who's the, in, Dustin is, Hopkins is third, will be third is, on is the Mosley list. Is Mosley one low Miller two on yes, kicking? I believe so. I just know that he'll pass he'll pass Kurt Knight to wind up third on, on, on the list. And Tress Way, and this isn't a surprise, he'll probably move up to second and go by Matt Turk in second place with third, 388 punts for the most punts. Jeff Hayes isn't at the top of that list, or Mike Bragg? Uh, Mike Bragg is probably at the top of the list. Um, look, Dustin Hopkins, he's got a big leg. He's hit some clutch kicks before. But, you know, those seasons when they had another chance to get to the playoffs in 2016, which, by the way, and I mentioned this in recent days, you know, Trent Williams got suspended for four games down the stretch that season. But that particular year was the year that on Thanksgiving he missed a huge kick in Dallas. In Detroit, he missed a huge kick. The Cincinnati game, he missed two kicks in the London game, including the short one to win in overtime. God, was there ever a tie that felt more like a loss? Oh my God! That Bengals that loss Bengals in London. Bengals loss. Um, and so you know you've had some of that with him uh, over the years. Uh, but 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 anyway. Um, that, talk, that's enough about him. Let's talk about what's going to. What do you think? Well, no, we can do this. We can. Are we have doing a podcast Thursday or not? Yeah, we're doing a podcast Thursday. Okay, I was going to say talk before about, the game. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about the, the, okay. the game before Thursday. Um, I did want to. I had two other things that I wanted to do with you, um, and that is um, Cliff Branch's passing, which I and I talked about this on the radio today. Those Raiders teams of the 70s, you and I love the NFL yes. from the 70s and the 80s. Those Raiders teams of the 70s were just so much fun to watch. And Cliff Branch was the Al Davis wide receiver. He was the guy that they that LaMonica, not LaMonica, he didn't throw it to him, but Stabler and then eventually Plunkett could just throw the bomb to. Because that's the Raiders of the 70s and 80s, the Al Davis Raiders, for those of you that don't know, just win, baby, um, were teams that thrived on menacing defense and an offense where you had a quarterback with a big arm that would throw the bomb. That's what he wanted. He wanted to stretch the field and throw the bomb. And Cliff Branch was his best speed receiver and one of the great speed receivers of all time and certainly of that era. He's not a Hall of Famer. Cliff Branch is not a Hall of Famer. Um, but he's had memorable games and memorable um, moments. He, Tommy, I talked about this, and this t- to me um, is one of the great regular season games in Redskins history. The Redskins in 1983 played the Raiders twice. They played the Raiders at RFK in the regular season, and then they played them in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 18. The game at RFK is one of the great regular season games in Redskins history. They trailed 35-20 to 20 in the fourth quarter by 15 points. No, two, no two-point conversion back then. And they came back and they won it 37-35, to 35, uh, Theismann to Joe Washington late. But Cliff Branch in that game had the longest, you know, tied with others, right. the longest pass reception for a touchdown in NFL history, 99 yards from Jim Plunkett. And then, by the way, caught a touchdown in that Super Bowl when he torched Anthony Washington, you know, in that Super Bowl. Um, 
By the way, the big difference between the regular season and the Super Bowl is that Michael Haynes was not on the Raiders. Um, and Marcus Allen didn't play in the first game right. against the Redskins, and then both were there for the Super Bowl game. But I, I just – Cliff Branch's passing at 71 years old just reminded me of those great Raider teams of the 70s. I loved watching those Raider teams. Well, look, there were there were a group of great AFC teams of the 70s. The Raiders, people forget that the Patriots were a double-digit win team under Steve Grogan. They had, they had Raymond Claiborne. They had Stanley Morgan. They had John Hanna and Mosey Leon Tatupu. Gray. Yeah, so they had the Raiders were there. The Colts were right there with Burt Jones. Yeah, but you're missing the other as, two as powerhouses well, of the, the 70s. Steelers. The Steelers and Dolphins. Yeah, and the Steelers and Dolphins. Yeah. But I'm trying to talk. I was mentioning the ones that people forget. Right. And those are the Patriots and the Colts. And as far as Cliff Branch. Did the look, Colts have a better 70s than the Patriots? Probably. Yeah. but The but, Colts were a better franchise in the 70s than the Patriots. It's Patriots, pretty close. The Patriots had the Patriots didn't become good until '76. The Colts were, you know, first of all, well, yeah, in the in early '70s they won a Super Bowl in '71, and then you know were a multiple playoff team right. under with Burt Jones. Yes, yeah, but the, the Patriots under Grogan were very entertaining, very competitive. You mentioned uh, we talked about Cliff Branch. I go back to the days of Warren Wells, right? Who with was Cliff LaMonica. Branch before? Cliff Branch. Talk about a, a deep threat at wide receiver. You know, in 1969, he averaged 26.8 yards wow. per catch. And that was the Raiders. Yes. And, and all, he played for the Raiders oh, wow. for four seasons. How and, many catches? Uh, I don't know. He had 14 touchdowns. Okay. And uh, all four years he played for the Raiders, he averaged 20 yards a catch in all four seasons. Wow. That's so they've always had that vertical game, and everyone thinks of Cliff Branch, and rightly so, because he was a lot of fun to watch. But I go back to the Warren Wells days. By the way, I'm just looking it up. The Patriots, the first good year for the Patriots was 76. They went 11-3 and and lost that very controversial game on the late hit on Stabler, which, yes. by the way, is one of those calls that totally decided not only – a playoff game, but the eventual Super, Super Bowl, Bowl winner. Champion, you know, then everybody's the all upset about the Saint game. Go back and watch Stabler get hit, and it, it's not roughing the passer. Shouldn't have been called no. roughing the passer, and and the Patriots uh, lost that game. And then their only other playoff season of the seventies was seventy eight. They went eleven and five, um, and lost in the playoffs then. And then they made that. You know, obviously in eighty five they made that surprise right. run with, with Tony, Tony Eason to the Super Bowl when they beat the Dolphins in the AFC Championship game. What else you got, boss? Uh, what else do I have? The Nats. Last night, did you, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't stay up. You go to sleep pretty early. Um, do you know how many pitches the Giants threw last night in that baseball game? 152. 198 pitches. Really? In the game last night against the Nats and only gave up four runs. <laughs> and I was talking to Zuckerman this morning. And I said, it's kind of like that Buccaneer-Redskin game last year. The Bucks were the first team in NFL history to score three or fewer points but have 500-plus yeah. yards. And last night, the Giants had 198 pitches in the game and only gave up four runs. <laughs> but the most amazing part of that game, and I watched the first five or six innings, Smarja was the starter. Do you know how many pitches he pitched in... Hold on, I, I, I know the number, just want to make sure I have the inning count right. In four innings, he threw 98 pitches. Wow, that four sounds innings. like a Gio Gonzalez start. Yeah, it was unbelievable how long these innings were going, and yet the Nats only got one run 
off of those 98 pitches against him. But Eric Fetty was They were incredible. lucky. Eric Fetty, I mean, talk about a mystery. Eric Fetty was terrible in his previous start. I mean, the kind of yeah. start where you say, well, yeah, I mean, they need to give up on this guy. And then he turns around and, and gives them an important game. I mean, the Nats, the Nats are fighting right now. The Mets are coming right Un- up. Re- 11 of 12. Now you've, you've got basically another team within their division they've got to compete with because the Mets are back and they're real. Uh, you think they're for real yeah. or they're just on, on a roll? I mean, no, they, they I, made that I, trade, they, for, trade for Stroman and people are like, why are they doing that? Well, they've got great starting pitching. They have great starting and pitching. And they're two and a half out in the wild card yes, race. Yes, the Nats have great starting pitching. The Mets have great starting pitching. Yeah, it's going to be um, – they picked up a game on the Braves last night. I think they, these games with the Giants are important because then they get the Mets for three. Yeah, you know, and 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 that that's now looking like a very difficult road, you know, end to this trip. But um, well, nobody should nobody should breathe easy until Max Scherzer is on the mound and I, healthy. I hear you. Yep. I mean, I mean, it, it's all it, it's all for naught if if Scherzer has back problems that that, that keep him from being a hundred percent. Um, I agree. Uh, it's going to be fun, though, over these last two months of the regular season to watch this play out because there's a, a crazy wild card race. By the way, in both the American yes. League and the National League, um, so many teams involved in trying to get one of those two uh, wild card spots. By the way, um, there was a report, uh, just getting back to football for a moment, that Zeke Elliott is absolutely, um, apparently Josina Anderson from ESPN essentially said, Elliott's not reporting to Cowboys camp and is not going to play for the Cowboys this year without a new deal. I think Melvin Gordon sort of feels the same way. So right now, is it Gordon, Trent Williams, and Zeke? Because yeah, Ngakwe well, reported. Yeah, Ngakwe reported. Uh, there was a secondary report that said that the Cowboys do plan on extending major offers to Zeke, Cooper, and Dak, though. They need Zeke. Yes, they I do. I mean, I hope they don't bring Zeke in. Right. It, 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 bring him in in week three after <laughs> they come here in week two. But we're in agreement that, you know, there are certain, like, I don't think the Chargers need Melvin Gordon. I think the guy from Northwestern, Justin Jackson, is really a good back and could be a potential, you know, very good, not elite back, but a very good back. And I think, you know, you saw some of that um, last year when Melvin Gordon was actually hurt. Uh, But I think the Cowboys definitely need Zeke. Listen, one thing about the Trent Williams holdout, I don't think it's going to be as much fun as the John Regan's holdout was. <laughs> you don't think he'll come back and say I'm bored back and I'm bored broken back? No, I don't think I don't think we'll, everyone will look upon the Trent Williams holdout with as much fond memories as they do the Rigo holdout. Rigo sat out an entire yes. season. Yeah. 1980 and the Redskins went from being you know, seconds away from being the number one seed in the 1979 postseason to going six and ten the following season. And Rigo left in training camp. Rigo left in training camp in Carlisle because Dyron Talbot told me the story about how Rigo was drunk and banging on his door, yelling at, at, at Talbot, saying, "Talbot, they won't pay me. They won't pay me. I'm gone." And then, and I'm gone. And then the next morning, Talbot woke up. And he heard that Riggins uh, drove to Dulles and, and left on a plane and never came back that year. Nope. All right. Uh, you got anything else? That's all I got, boss. All right. Uh, rate us, review us if you're listening on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. Subscribe as well. doesn't cost you anything. Um, I'm back tomorrow. Cooley's going to actually call in and be on the podcast tomorrow. And then Tommy will be back on Thursday. What? I what just do you got? wanted to mention yeah, that. Promote. You, 
I want to mention that you can still hear me on the weekends on 106.7 The Fan, WJFK. With Chris Russell. Uh, yes, this weekend with Chris Russell. And are you on with Chad tomorrow? Well, there's a, a Nats game tomorrow afternoon. Oh, so, got it. So I've been preempted by that. All right. Well, you can typically listen to Tommy with Chad and on you, Wednesdays. And you can read me in the Washington Times, WashingtonTimes.com, and follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And listen to me back on 980, 7 to 10 weekdays on the Team 980. Thanks to Aaron. Uh, thanks to all of you. Back tomorrow.